what I realised is that contrary to kind of what they're outside of libraries, people think obviously we become librarians because we like books. I mean, I'm I'm one of the probably the few rare librarians that really doesn't like reading. <laughs> um, I got into librarianship and being in libraries because I like people. Mm-hmm. And for me, working with people is the most important bit. This is Chatting Info Lit, an information literacy podcast for new library and information professionals, produced for the Silip Information Literacy Group. Welcome to episode six of Chatting Info Lit. So in this episode, I'm joined by Tom Peach, who is the Academic Services Manager at York St. John University. In this episode, we will be discussing all things becoming a manager as a new professional. So hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Can you maybe start by telling us a bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so as you said, at the time of recording, I'm the Academic Services Manager at York St. John University, which means that I lead a really fantastic um, team of predominantly learning development staff. So it's a mix of academic librarians who do collection development and do um, uh, teaching and student support, learning development staff who support students with all kinds of things, including critical thinking, critical writing, reflection, Um, time management, planning, and also maths and statistics as well. And then also digital, uh, what we call our digital training um, tutors, which is basically our digital skills specialists who support students and staff with anything to do with using Microsoft tools, Adobe tools, WordPress and blogging, um, website, uh, image editing, basically anything digital. And that also includes assistive technology as well. So basically all that stuff, but then with the disability focus, anything that disabled students need to use. So screen readers, anything like that. So yeah, it's a really, really fantastic team. And as part of that, I'm part of our uh, library senior management team. I said at the beginning um, in the intro that at the time of recording academic services manager depending on when this episode goes out i may by this point um now be the interim head of library and learning services we've had a bit of a internal shift um so on a short-term interim basis yeah i'm suddenly becoming head of libraries which is uh, exciting um a little bit scary um but it's a really cool uh, new opportunity so um yeah hopefully all that experience is going to be helpful as part of this episode Amazing. It sounds like you're firstly really busy and secondly, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Yeah, my gosh. (laughs) Do you think you can maybe talk a bit about your journey into librarianship? So, you know, where did you do your masters? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, all that. Yeah, definitely. So I, it's difficult to not fall into the trap that everyone falls into and says that you kind of fell into working in in libraries. But I was, um, my initial career trajectory was always going to be going into teaching in some kind of way. I was initially going to be a high school teacher and then I changed my mind into going to primary school teaching. And then when I didn't get into my primary um, education course back when I was fresh faced and 21, I didn't get into my primary education course, couldn't decide what I was going to do next. So I was convinced to stay on do my uh, masters in musicology because I was a musician at the time. I did that as a, a stalling tactic to figure out what I want to do and obviously needs to pay the bills and pay for the masters at the same time. So I, I kind of looked around for jobs and found um, there was a job in the university library um, as a shelver. And at the same time, there was also jobs going um, as some casual 
library assistant in the, the local college. So I took both of those on really just to pay the bills and then found, oh, this is actually quite interesting. I quite enjoy it. Um, it's interesting to see what everyone does. And then kind of, you know, six months went on. My master's was trundling along. I was thinking about what am I actually going to do at the end of it? Um, I thought, oh, maybe working in a library properly would be a good thing to do. But maybe that would give me some of the teaching that was interesting, still be involved in education, but also in this library setting. It seems that people in libraries seem to have quite a good work-life balance. They can go home um, and, and not have to take work with them, which seemed really appealing. I had lots of friends who'd gone to teach training and were very quickly seemed to be a bit miserable. And then obviously did some research um, as many of us did and discovered, oh, gonna have to go back and get another master's potentially or what am I gonna do I've just finished just about to finish this other one and <laughs> um, can't believe I'm gonna have to go back at the same time I was moving on from being a casual um, library assistant into something that was salaried a salaried library assistant and then I did a very short-term sideways move within that college library to be on our IT front desk and then did another sideways move back to being um, a library assistant, but this time posted at one of the small kind of campus outreach libraries. So I had that sort of under my remit to look after day to day. So I did that for quite a few years whilst I was doing my master's part time, which I was doing at Robert Gordon. So I was doing that and, and that took that was a three year process doing that. Um, and I chose the Robert Gordon one because it didn't have any kind of study days that I need to go and do. So lots of the other programs had mandatory study days, mandatory study weeks where, you know, you'd have to go on site. And whilst my college employer was supportive of doing it, I was funding it by myself and there wasn't any capability to go and do that. And because I was term time only, I didn't have annual leave either. So it just wasn't feasible. So Robert Gordon was the solution that worked for me. Whilst uh, I was doing that, I was coming towards my kind of end of my second year. Yeah, I think it's the end of my second year. I saw the opportunity at York St John where I am now for a trainee librarian position. I thought it was really interesting. I hadn't seen any librarian positions available that, um, in the north that were training positions, which I thought was really unusual, but also training positions that led to a job at the end. It wasn't just I'm going to have to uproot my life for a year and then have no job at the end of it. It was going to be train for the time that it takes you to complete your master's and, and meet the full job description and then you've got the proper job at the end of it and I thought that sounds amazing so went for that was really really lucky and fortunate to get that there was from what I understand I think around 100 applicants for that one so it was really popular so I joined York St John did that and completed my master's at the same time I did a really cool interesting dissertation exploring how information literature arose in our lecturers discussions about their teaching um, around writing research and using information i was really interested in how that language came up yeah it sort of really changed how i approached doing art librarianship because i realized that the word information and data and all sorts of kinds of things that we used to use as, as librarians didn't really mean much to them so it, it was really helpful as part of that process I went through my um, librarian role um, for a couple of years where I was a librarian looking after a, a number of different schools. So moving between um, art and design librarianship as a linguistics librarianship uh, and languages and computer data science librarianship. Um, so lots of really interesting mixes and then following an internal restructure and the implementation of a slightly different management structure, a new manager position became available to lead 
the librarian team and the digital training team, as well as the two new teams that were being added, which was assistive technology and studio development, who were moving in from different um, areas to make a completely brand new team with us. And the opportunity came along to step into that role on an interim basis while recruitment happened for a permanent manager. So I thought, give it a go, see if I like it. Ended up deciding to go for the full thing. Got that one. And I've been doing that ever since now for about kind of two and a half years doing that now um and then as i mentioned at the beginning because of some other internal um, things happening about to on an interim basis give head of library services a go <laughs> wow it sounds like yeah you've had a proper journey to where you are now like but yeah it sounds like you've had some amazing opportunities sounds really interesting your dissertation sounds really interesting as well <laughs> yeah i've never like heard of anyone doing anything like that sounds really good okay so I think we'll talk more about actually the process of becoming a manager uh, as a new professional and kind of what that means because uh, I'm quite interested in this in particular because I've recently become a manager myself not on the same scale as you I'm not running the service <laughs> just yet <laughs> but um, I'm only like managing like three people but um, it's definitely been a massive learning curve for me so I thought maybe we could start by talking about you know what do you find most enjoyable about being a manager and also on the flip side what do you find challenging it's a really really great question and I, and I think the reason why I think it's such a good question is because it's one of the things I asked myself when I was thinking about do I want to do this I really enjoy being a librarian I really enjoy working with students in my roles because I'm student facing is the work and supporting kind of um, the, the staff and the liaison capacity that that that, that, that role had um, and I thought moving into a manager because it's not a team leader role where I'm still doing that role, um, I'm going to lose that. And that's what I really enjoyed doing. So would it be the right move for me? And what I tried to do as part of that with not choosing the job description, but also talking to my manager at the time, um, is really trying to make the connections between the job that I was doing, so the librarian job, and what the manager role would be, and think about how do I take what I've enjoyed most with me? And obviously, I was going to lose the same kind of interaction with students. But when I boiled it down and took the students out of it, what I realized is that contrary to kind of what they're outside of libraries people think obviously we become librarians because we like books I mean I'm I'm one of the probably the few rare librarians that really doesn't like reading <laughs> um I got into librarianship and being in libraries because I like people mm -hmm. and for me working with people is the most important bit and that doesn't change when becoming um, a manager. In fact, it brings me more into contact with needing to work with people and do stuff. Whereas in my librarian role, I had, you know, I had periods of working with people, periods of being, you know, working on my own projects by myself, those kind of stuff. Whereas becoming a line manager, so much of it becomes being about people. And that's what I absolutely love and find the most rewarding supporting people with achieving their goals getting done what they need to do that's what i find the most enjoyable about it it's also fundamentally a problem solving role and i well it'd be nice to have a, a job where there wasn't any problems that's just really unrealistic <laughs> and i enjoy thinking through how do we solve these problems why are the problems important why they're really important to us how can we solve them what is realistic to do in solving them and trying to be a solutions person which can be really really challenging because there's problems everywhere and finding solutions is really challenging but again that's where I find myself thriving and really enjoying is that yeah finding those solutions to problems and understanding why the problems are really important to us to solve um I get a lot of satisfaction from that being a manager is obviously challenging for me I think being a manager can sometimes be overwhelming and that can sometimes be kind of structurally so in my current job I have a team of 
15 that's currently it's due to rise 17 so structurally i have quite a lot to kind of look after but overwhelming more in the sense of i think that sense of responsibility and be a challenge that doesn't necessarily go away but I think your understanding of it and your reaction to it and the way that you your relationship to that does definitely change over time as you become more comfortable but that level of responsibility that you feel for decision making can be really challenging but then also brings its own enjoyment Mm. Um, so I've then found a lot of satisfaction personally in developing new kinds of confidence and assuredness through being able to make decisions and feel confident that I know what I'm doing, but also having that confidence to be humble and to say when you don't know something or whether you don't know the answer to something or you don't know the impact that something might have or the humility to say when the solution that you picked hasn't worked like you thought it would do. So it's a really interesting and exciting challenge, um, I think, that isn't easy and i think if any manager ever tells you that being a manager is easy they're not being truthful with you um and it can be particularly challenging trying to be a manager that is positive that is affirming that is supportive that is good at advocating um whilst also having that role where you are also representing the organization and what the organization that you work for needs um and having that challenging middle role where you're finding what is the balance or mediating those those two things if they don't always align so yeah it's exciting challenging um so hopefully i think that is a fairly good summary of where i'm currently at definitely and i really like what you said about you you do have that responsibility like i was assistant librarian now i'm you know like library manager librarian and i found it quite tricky to you know suddenly people are coming to me for the answers and mm-hmm. expecting me to make decisions and while that's enjoyable in some ways but it's also quite like stressful is the right word i don't know but like it's kind of the pressure i guess of feeling like yeah. you have to make those decisions and they have to you know if something goes wrong then it's on me pretty much so yeah. i guess it's about dealing with those new pressures it is yeah and i think that again that's one of those things that develops over time that you learn over time when i first when i first started in this manager job it felt like every single decision was absolutely paramount and i used to think about every single decision all the time which is understandable when you suddenly have to make all the decisions but i think what i've learned over time is 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 about there are some decisions that you learn to see really quickly that aren't necessarily they're important but they're not high risk or then Mm. they wouldn't have massive impact if it was the wrong decision and there are other ones which deserve more of my care and attention and also there's that learning process but actually what is my decision is this something that someone is trying to get me to decide but it's actually in their responsibility from a job perspective and that could be you know people elsewhere in the organization that are trying to get you to make a decision it could be a decision where someone needs to make a decision and you decide that you're going to step forward and do so or you know it may be a case of it's decisions um that your team are asking you to make when you think actually this would be beneficial for them collaboratively to decide for mm-hmm. themselves and can i create the structure where they can make the decision themselves so i think i think that's one of the big learning curves when you become manager is, is potentially undoing particularly if you've had managers before that do make all decisions and you have no agency in your own job mm-hmm. or your own service or you have you know really big permissions called to where, where you know you have to ask for permission to do absolutely everything it does take some time to unlearn 
how you how you think about what a manager is yeah I, I totally agree with that I think it's about learning you know where do you draw the line in terms of like delegating responsibility to other people and allowing them to develop themselves and like again that's something maybe I'm struggling with a little bit and kind of like because I really don't want to become one of those managers that's like you know micromanaging every decision because that's like the worst in my opinion yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I you know I've, I'm very new to this role and I've had um, I've had a lot of managers in my yeah. job history so I kind of know what I kind of like and don't like in a manager so I've tried to like internalize the things I do like and I'm trying to be those things but obviously the people I'm working with might prefer a different style of management so I guess mm -hmm. it's all about balancing that as well so um, yeah, yeah. And I think in terms of delegating tasks, I think that's, again, something I'm really prioritising in my management style to make sure that people are developing and progressing in their own career. So again, this kind of leads in nicely to my next question, which is, do you experience imposter syndrome? Because I definitely do. <laughs> so, and if you do, how, how do you overcome it? Yeah, it's a great question. And yes, I absolutely um, did. And I've experienced it in different kinds of ways at different times, actually. So I... I experienced imposter syndrome a lot when I first started in my trainee librarian role. Whilst I was in a trainee role and I knew that I needed to be kind to myself in terms of learning, there was also that sense of, do I actually deserve to be here? Have Do I actually know what I'm talking about? Or, oh, I really don't know what I'm talking about here. Maybe that, maybe I'm, I'm not meant to, to be here. And I think having the process of, of being confirmed you know fully in that post by my manager at the time finishing my master's really helped to solidify actually I do know what I'm talking about here um you know I've had that external validation I'm getting you know good feedback I'm building good relationships I'm obviously doing something right um and then obviously when I do that for a couple of years and got really really confident and knew what I was doing and and everything that sort of subsided and then came back a, a little bit to start with moving into this role so moving into this manager role obviously first time manager um thinking about particularly at that point where I started this where I'd only really finished my library qual maybe a year and a half two years or so I'd been a librarian for four and a half nearly five years properly working in libraries since 2013 so there was a real sense of moving into that role thinking I'm support going to be supporting a team here um, who have you know even just with one member of staff been in the profession fundamentally longer than I have but collectively as a team they have so much more experience than I have so actually what on earth am I going to be able to bring in this role how am I going to be able to do anything in this kind of role and the only way that I could initially get rid of the initial aspect of that is by reassessing and thinking about what is it that I'm actually supposed to be doing in this role and I think that's where what you said about micromanaging is really important I think holding on to that micromanaging mindset means that you're always going to have to feel like you know how to do absolutely everything because you're going to feel like you have to do everything and um, you can't rely on your your team at all to do anything and I managed to let go of some of that imposter syndrome by realizing that it wasn't my job to do everything that they needed to do and in fact they're the experts in their job and the more that they do the job and the longer that I'm in the manager role the more that gap between them being the experts in what they do will increase and widen in my in my role because I've become less and less near to those experiences that I used to have as a librarian. So actually my role is to listen, to understand, to keep questioning, to keep exploring and finding out, um, to keep that communication flowing. 
But to think about that holistically, I'm more there to think about how do we connect all these different team members' experiences together? How do I connect what they're experiencing through with other areas of the library or other areas of the university, you know, other places in my organisation? And in that sense, again, that's where my love of people and and that kind of stuff comes through really really strongly and that really helped me initially to move past that sense of I've not worked in this profession as long so actually what value can I can I bring here I think the other thing that really helps and this has particularly helped in on reflection since becoming a manager is I think when you're in a team even if you've got the best functioning team in the world it's it's always natural to focus on you know your own work what you're doing and then you end up focusing on the fact that I'm the only one that doesn't know this or I'm the only one that needs to learn how to do this and, you know we see it with students all the time who think they're the only ones that don't know how to do this kind of thing you know we see it with staff members all the time and I think it's since moving into this role and realizing that everyone is learning all the time that you realize ah because everyone's learning all the time that's okay that not everyone knows everything because that's actually really normal and it's actually common sense because that's how we know people learn but it's really easy for yourself to completely forget everything you know about learning and how people learn and everything that we think about in libraries about lifelong learning um you forget all that when you think about yourself and suddenly judge yourself really harshly and i think that really really helped the final thing that really massively helped but is I think the most vulnerable thing um, that you can do is I was part of a leadership program earlier on this year that my institution um, put on. And as part of that, a mandatory activity within that was to be part of 360 feedback. So for listeners, if you've not heard of 360 feedback, the idea in 360 feedback is compared to your normal line management relationship, you're generally only getting critical development feedback from your line manager. So it's very, very one way. You may, if you've got a good relationship with your line manager, do upward management or you might, you know, give feedback upwards. You might have some of that relationship there. But in 360 feedback, you're blowing it wide open and you're asking for development feedback, for character feedback, for all sorts of feedback from a range of different people in your working life. So it's from your manager. It will be from other people on your level. So for me, it was other managers within our department. You will also, if you're a manager, you will also ask for feedback from people who you manage. And to try and get a realistic picture, you'll also ask for feedback from people who you maybe don't work with day to day, but you have a different kind of relationship with. So it might be on projects or in a different working group or wider in your department um, and you'll ask for feedback. Now, for for us, it was a really structured process where there was specific, lots of specific things that were asked um, and scales to rate on and things like that. But obviously, that concept of getting feedback from pretty much everyone in your working life was really, it was really stressful. That sounds um, terrifying to me. It, it, was, it, it <laughs> was very, very terrifying. And the programme that was internal was it was run by learning and organisational development. And they said it's going to be scary, but it's really, really important that we do it um, because the only way that we can grow is to learn how to be open to a range of feedback. You know, you've come here because you want to grow, you want to develop. So opening yourself up to that um, is really important. And they were really good about it. You didn't just get all the raw feedback. They did a really good job of collating it all together and ran some coaching sessions around it to really deep dig into the feedback, help us understand what the feedback was saying. And what my feedback helped me to do was to see that as part of the process, I also had to answer all the same questions and rate myself on all these different scales is that I am far more harsh and critical and brutal on myself. And when I say brutal, like properly brutal compared to how every single other person that 
I work with sees me, including all my direct reports, including all the managers around me, including my line manager. And the feedback was, for me, was really beneficial because that's what it allowed me to do. It gave me permission to basically chill out. Yeah. (laughs) Basically say, "You're you're doing such a good job. You need to chill out. But equally, if it hadn't have been that, And it would have come back and said, you know, we've got there's there's some problems here or this communication style doesn't work or, um, you know, we need more consultation on this kind of stuff or, um, you know, any of those kind of stuff. That's all the kind of feedback that's really beneficial. And imposter syndrome, the only way to get rid of it and to tackle it is to think about grounding yourself in reality and what is actually happening. How can we counteract the voice or the narrative around you know, you're not being good enough or not being worthy or whatever those narratives are that are fueling imposter syndrome. Actually, what are the practical things that are going to help us get rid of that? And for me, it's evidence. Uh, and that's always been a case from a reflective practice perspective, but um, came through as part of um, personal and private therapy outside. Evidence as part of grounding is so, so important. So the 360 gave me so much evidence to, to, to let go. But yeah, like I said, if it hadn't have done in terms of all being really, really positive, it still would have given me that evidence to actually ground in you're good in this bit and um, these bits are the things that we'd you know benefit in some development with or this could be really much better if, it, if this was changed and yeah just super super beneficial process so I think if you're if you're in a situation where imposter syndrome is really kind of grinding you down or is the thing that's keeping you back or giving you tons of anxiety at work I would recommend talking to your manager about any available process for doing something around 360 uh, feedback so that you can put yourself in a slightly more kind of anxious and vulnerable position, but with the end goal of getting the feedback that you actually need that's going to help address whatever is actually happening in in, in reality. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's a, a useful piece of advice. It's been best thing I've ever done. Honestly, that's been really, really useful and it's something I will definitely consider looking into. And I think by nature, librarians, obviously not all librarians, but we do tend to be, I mean, I'm very reflective. Like I I teach a session on reflective practice. I love that kind of thing. Um, And as a result, we do have the tendency to be quite self-critical, don't we? And kind of like analyze all our different decisions and all our ways ways we are. But actually, in reality, like you said, people we're actually working with, people actually, you know, matter that, yeah. They may not see that. So yeah, yeah that that's um that sounds really, really useful actually. So I don't know about you. I mean, by the sounds of your, you know, your journey into where you are now, um, you've had lots of opportunities and things to kind of get that uh, experience to become a manager, but I know obviously not everyone has mm. that and it can be quite difficult for new professionals to get that initial management experience so they can move up in the next stage of their career if they want to so i'm just wondering if you have any advice for new professionals or anyone really who were who maybe you're thinking about progressing into a management role yeah definitely and, and that's something that's really important to, to foreground as part of obviously we're talking about my journey and um, partially within this podcast is that kind of my progression so far apart from the the process of kind of applying for my training position which was super duper competitive getting the initial interim manager position and now this new opportunity for interim head of it's purely due to luck of circumstances of where I am right now if I was in a different library um, system you know with a lot greater hierarchy more people um 
I may not have been as fortunate um, to have a range of different opportunities that that have been afforded by the nature of working in a smaller organisation. Um, so that is one um, big caveat. But I think what it has helped me to see during um, the process, which is why I'm really pleased to be able to talk about stuff today, is what I've learned through that process and having those opportunities is the being in the space to try and break down some of those barriers and um, smooth those transition points between different areas of the profession. So whether it's thinking about moving from your first library assistant position into a librarian position, which is a big hurdle for lots of people. Again, when we think about what people are looking for in terms of initial experience and you can't get the experience without having the job, it's a very similar kind of thing with getting to management. Lots of job descriptions, unfortunately, look very, you know, had down the line about looking for line management experience and the problem with asking for line management experience is that unless you've had a job with line management to do and um, you can't get the experience so you can't get the experience without getting the job but you can't get the job without the experience so it's that never-ending cycle that i know a lot of us talk about at a range of different stages so i think whilst us as managers move towards more equitable recruitment practice and improving our job descriptions something that i think is really beneficial for um anyone at the career, but particularly for the uh, new professionals looking at kind of options to think about, is to, one, collect job descriptions of what you want to do. In the same way that when we're supporting, you know, whether it's our students, whether it's our users, you know, whatever setting you're working in, um, we're often thinking about what is that end goal? Where are you heading to? What is it you want to find? What is it you went to experience? Where, where, where are you going? Um, if you don't know where you're going, it can be difficult to figure out how to plan in advance. So first thing is, yeah, collect job descriptions. What kind of things do you want to do? Because what you're looking for on those job descriptions is the kind of language and the kind of skills, the kind of experiences that, that those roles are looking for. Because we want to try and make connections between what we're already doing in our current job or what we could try and build into our current job or how we could shift the way that we describe what we're doing in our current job so that it meets those kinds of language that we're looking at. So a really great example, I think, is line management and leadership as two kind of categories can feel really abstract to people. Line management feels very practical and it is very practical. Um, and as I said, if you've not done it, you don't have the experience. Um, and similarly with leadership, people have ideas about leadership as being this big thing where you've got to have leader in your title or you've got to be actually a leader to have done leadership tasks. But I think what is beneficial is to break those processes down. So think about actually as a line manager or as a leader, what are the, the skills, the knowledges, the experiences, the requirements um, of doing that? And it's things like supporting people. So in your current role, do you have anything where you're where you're supporting people? Are you doing coaching or goal setting in any capacity at all, um, either with students or with patrons or anything like that? You know, are you doing that kind of work? Communication is so important um, as part of being a line manager or being a leader. So have you got examples um, in your current work or can you make um, opportunities for yourself where you're exploring different ways of communicating? Can you solve communication problems? You know, those kind of things. Um, line management and leadership is all about recognising opportunities for learning development within a team. So do you have examples of where you've supported other people, whether it's colleagues or students or patrons with developing their own skills and working towards goals or setting their goals? Um, when it comes to leading, um, again, leading itself can be broken down. So within leadership, we've got influencing. So have you got examples of where you've influenced people 
um, to get an outcome. So that could be influencing colleagues. It could be influencing someone on a wider project. It could be influencing upwards and influencing your senior leaders. Decision making, big one as well. What examples have you got of where you've made a decision about something? So if you're a like laser librarian with budget stuff, tons of decision making in there, tons of influencing there as well. So those kind of skills within line management are not abstract skills. Line management itself has lots of things that you won't have done before, lots of policies and implementing of, you know, HR stuff and using those kind of systems that you'll have never necessarily done before. That's always going to be new until you get into a new, into a new role. And if you even as become a manager, so like if I go into a new organization or um, you, Beth, and go into a new organization, um, you're going to have new, po new processes, new policies, new systems to deal with. Um, so those past experiences, it's not it's not the actual practical stuff that becomes relevant necessarily it's the skills and the things underneath that that you take with you um, and those experiences so thinking about where those are currently in your role um, or where you can develop them through other opportunities or you can shift the language around how you currently describe your work so that it matches what they're looking for in these other job descriptions similarly um, thinking about project work so do you have access to being on any project teams or taking any responsibility within a, within a project? Or indeed, can you lead a project? And when we say project, it could be something really small. It could be, you know, taking responsibility for um, how displays happen. Or it could be taking responsibility for, you know, improving a communication channel within your department, such as, you know, taking responsibility for weekly emails or, or you know, doing rotoring or all sorts of different kinds of things that, that you can think of as a project where you are influencing other people, you are delegating tasks, you are setting boundaries, you are measuring whether or not something is working, all those different kinds of things, project work. Um, similarly, budget work, mentoring opportunities, can you um, offer to mentor new members of staff? You know, is there a HR system to mentor new staff? Is there an internal department one? Are there external opportunities through SCONAL or uh, Academic Libraries North, for example, has got a really good um, new mentoring scheme? All those different kinds of things bring you the kinds of skills that people are looking for in people who want to move into management, leadership, team leadership kind of roles. So yeah, that's my big piece of advice. Don't be initially put off by the language around line management particularly. You should definitely speak to people like the hiring managers responsible just to check whether or not is it absolutely essential that I need to have line managed people before or um, is it accessible that I've got a range of these other skills that are part of line management. Be sensible about it. Uh, some hiring managers are really not particularly open at all and that is a challenge. Mm. But lots of us are really trying to push the boat and push the envelope on actually what is really important here um, and you have an opportunity as someone wanting to make a move into either a new sector or a new role or interface management role or whatever it is to figure out how to make some of those connections between what you're currently doing what you could do and where you want to end up yeah i think that's really good advice i mean how i got my job was it was like an internal opportunity which yeah like you said it's a lot easier isn't it once like <laughs> you have those opportunities and you don't have to move to a different organization but when you're like applying for other jobs external to where you are it can be a lot more difficult but yeah I think just going for it at the end they're just applying you know there's no harm in it and kind of like exactly what you've been saying like using your current experience and spinning it 
to fit <laughs> uh, the job descriptions. That's I've definitely done that before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, like I think again, like you've been talking about taking those opportunities in your current role, or even if you're doing a course at university, but doing the masters, for example, putting yourself forward for you know leadership tasks or any any opportunity that you can demonstrate that you can do those roles. I think we'll move on now to them talking about management and information literacy because obviously this is an information literacy podcast. <laughs> um, so why do you think information literacy skills are so important in management and in what ways do you use them? Yeah it's a really good question and um, it's when you first asked me when we were kind of preparing to, to to talk with the podcast it really got me thinking about how do I use information as a manager as a leader and um, it really made me realize just how much information I need to use or need to be able to navigate on a daily basis to be efficient and to keep on top of, of everything but particularly when it comes to information literacy um, the challenge as a manager is because you're moving not just within your team space, which has its own kind of information landscape, as it were, but you're also navigating your department's information landscape, um, your organization's information landscape. As a manager, you've got a new responsibility to try and stay connected outside as well, even more so than you do just as a regular member of staff. You've got to learn how to navigate and keep on top of information landscapes outside of that whether it's within your professional networks whether it's in you know government or wider wider sector um and that itself can be super super complicated so i think it's a really really challenging information landscape to have to um have to navigate and i think what i've learned over that process is that i don't think anyone is ever fully there on feeling confident with managing the information landscape and the flow of information and how we're expected to use information. I don't think anyone is is ever fully on top of it um, because everything's constantly changing and your preferences change and how you want to interact with stuff changes. Um, I mean, I, I'm potentially on my sixth management tool as it were in terms of managing how information comes my way how I do something with it how I process it um I've currently got a fairly fancy inbox system and a, and a Microsoft planner system that I use which is working quite well for me at the moment in terms of managing all the different information flows that are going on um in and around and through me but it's also because my role as a manager is to not only advocate for my team, but think about the impacts of things that are happening outside my team on what my team and my service is doing, is that the information literacy aspect of it really comes for me down to my ability to actually critically engage with what it is that's coming my way and to connect it with and think about its impacts not only think about what are the how did this information that's come to me what were the context that led it to be this kind of way who was involved in this why is it this kind of way so that i can figure out how am i gonna not only respond to this and think about how to address it but i can also consider its impacts on on what we're going to do so if, you know for example if um a wider policy on assessment changes at my institution I've got to be able to think about not only how does that impact on what we do um, as a service, as a team and how we interact with, with, with our students, um, but I also have to consider and think about where did that 
change or that policy come from? Who was in the room when that was when that was created? Why have these decisions been made in this kind of way? How has that come to happen? Or how is it being presented in this kind of way? Um, you know, if the document or information isn't accessible, how did that come to happen? Um, and what is my position or place in being part of fixing that? So yeah, it, it's a super, super complex um, landscape. I think, for, yeah, for me, it, it comes down to being able to understand and stay on top of how information is flowing in and around me and then thinking about how I engage with it, thinking about where does information come from? How was it produced? What were the context that it arose in? And what is the impacts on my team and how do we use this? Um, it's become very, very complex and continues to be so and is not it's not something that I feel like I've learned or become an expert in and actually I don't yeah I don't expect to ever become so. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a bit about critical librarianship which I know is something you're quite interested in from speaking mm -hmm. to you before and I also watched your um, keynote that you did at Lilac on the professionals panel and again you spoke a bit about critical librarianship there. So firstly for the for the, those who don't know could you maybe sum up what what, what it is uh, and secondly can you maybe talk about how you think critical librarianship intersects with your your approach to management or your your role? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, well, there are lots of different definitions of understandings of um, kind of critical librarianship, and it means different things to different people. So, mm -hmm. rather than giving kind of a, a, a set definition and um, having everyone um, come at me for missing bits and bobs or missing things, um, I'll give you my my take I think it, it's, it's quite central to them why and how I use it and why it's important to me. Critical librarianship for me um, is fundamentally connected with um, a wider understanding of something called critical pedagogy which is something that um, arose as part of a school of thought from a range of people including Paolo Freire who are really interested in thinking more critically about so for example pedagogy thinking about education um, but thinking about its purpose thinking about um, why it exists um, thinking about how it comes to be how is it used and links through then to critical theory so we're thinking critical librarianship about not just how librarianship comes to be um but thinking about how it influences um everything that is around it so um for example if we're thinking about information literacy specifically we would be thinking more critically about how information is produced what are the context and the power structures that were in place that enabled that to come um, into being um, we might be thinking about what are the kind of power structures and things that play that impact how it's disseminated or impact how we interpret and understand it or how it is used or manipulated or changed um, and, and and why you know, there's, there's there's a development within critical librarianship again about critical uh, about critical systems uh, and thinking about the technology landscapes. There's lots of really great librarians out there thinking very critically about libraries and technology. There's all sorts of different kinds of um, facets within it, but it, it's it's very much for me about addressing assumptions that have come up through librarianship, not just in our theory but in our practice, um, in the discipline and really thinking through for me how can we make things better and partic particularly because uh, well someone that comes from a, a, a marginalized community how can we redress balances how can we 
um, advocate? How can we yeah, make things better for the future and not replicate um, problems and challenges um, that librarianship has has created, perpetuated or been involved in, in the past? So that's a little bit, I suppose, not the most concrete definition. And there are lots of nicer concrete definitions out there, but that's kind of where it sits for me and kind of the, the complexity and the interest and for me. But in terms of that relationship with management and my role, it fits in really, really nicely because particularly at my institution as a social justice institution, we're interested in what does that actually mean in practice? So we are supporting students with learning, we're supporting staff with their research. Um, what does that mean for the systems that we use in terms of our library systems and our collections, what collections we have, how they're provided? It makes me think about our spaces. So, you know, how accessible are they? How do our spaces contribute to making people feel marginalised, to excluding people? Are there more critical and nuanced um, ways that we can think about information and its usage? So how can we support um, a growing and a more nuanced um, approach to information in, in assessment. So moving away from, you know, you have to use 10 books and articles. And that's the only thing you can use. You know, why can't we use podcasts? Um, why, why, why can't we use these kind of things if we think it's appropriate? Can we develop much more critical engagement with what information is rather than just having potentially some more um, older and less nuanced and less truthful understandings of information. So part of my job, particularly as a manager, is continuing to support that kind of work um, and really championing that as really, really important um, and supporting my team to, to do that kind of work and think in those kind of ways and supporting all the policies in, at the institution that go around that so that um, it enables that kind of work. So that's kind of how I see it coming particularly in, in, into my role. It's important because mine's an, an enabling role. So I use that framing and that understanding to help enable that kind of work for my team. Absolutely. And I think I think this conversation has really made me kind of reflect on my own like ways of working and like how I mean critical librarianship is something I have to admit I don't know a lot about so it's been yeah it's been really eye-opening to kind of think about how I could look more into it and see how it could help me with yeah, the work I do. So we're on to our final question uh, so we ask all our guests to recommend a book or an article to add to our definitive information literacy reading list so what would you like to add? It's a great question, and I've narrowed. I've I'm being cheeky, so I've only been been able to narrow it down to two. But I think they're, they're two really important um, ones on that critical librarianship um, kind of continuum, um, and they they both target different things uh, that I'm interested in and think are really important. So the first one, which is a fantastic um, article in in the library with the lead pipe, which if you don't read it, is a really really fantastic open access peer reviewed journal in um, all sorts of interesting um, bits of librarianship. So if you've heard of vocational or as a concept, in the library with the lead pipe was the journal that published um, that initially. Um, but the one that I want to um, to signpost to is something called um, "We Need to Talk About How We Talk About Disability." It's a really fantastic article by Amelia Gibson, Kristen Bowen, and Dana Hansen. And it's a really interesting article that takes a critical look at uh, through the librarianship literature about how as a sector, as a field, we have talked about disability in the past and how we really need to get on with thinking about and adopting critical disability approaches to librarianship that not just 
include some disabled people as participants, but actually think about how do we create disability led movements within librarianship? And that includes not just thinking about disabled people as people who work in libraries, because again, we've got a real problem um, there, but also thinking about how does that impact on not just our services, but as I'm really interested in, how does disability then come up or doesn't come up in information literacy? So really, really fantastic article um, that goes through the past 30, 40 years of librarianship literature and problematizes how we talk about it. And the other one, um, which is not just a fantastic article, but I'm also, um, I, I have to give it a shout out because it's by one of my really good friends, but it's fantastic. And that's in the Journal of Information Literacy and it's, they burn so bright whilst you can only wonder why. Stories at the intersection of social class, capital and critical information literacy a collaborative ethnography long title but basically so it's by darren flynn Teresa crew rosie hare krishna maru and andrew preeter and it's a really interesting academic article done through autoethnography so it's people telling their own personal stories mixed in with theory about their experiences of being working class in libraries and the impacts that that has not just on librarianship but on library services and information literacy so yeah two areas where the libraries and neutral crew haven't kind of ventured before where we're thinking about um, either the problems that the field has had with disability in the past or the problems that we've had with social class as a field um, so yeah two really really fantastic things to have a look at great we'll definitely add those and for the listeners you'll be able to find the list on the il group blog and there'll be a link hopefully in the description somewhere Great. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. This has been really, really insightful. Um, Thanks so much, Bethan. I've had a good <laughs> time. Thank you.